Oh, boy, what a fantastic set of lyrics. How about this one? Do you know this one? Uh, uh, there was a young man from Azizus who's... Uh, oh, I better not. I mean, there's a lot of kids. It's Monday. You know, everybody's nervous. Bring it up there, old Bob there. Like, you know, you get nervous on Monday. What are you going to do? I mean, there's a whole week ahead of you, and everybody's walking around. I'll turn the light on here. Should we try that? Huh? Hello, hello. I guess this light uh, only works when John Gambling commands it to work, huh? Okay. You know, I've got to learn to walk on water. There it goes. I do. He does very well, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now it can be told. just changed my mind in the middle of that day. It can't be told yet. Sorry, the world isn't ready for it. Have a note here. It says, uh, Shepard, I might as well tell you beforehand. Um, let's see. Uh, he says, we have a Shepard fan in our house in addition to me. He says, about a week ago, I was downstairs and uh, there was my chihuahua sitting near the hot air register with her ear up to it. I went over to it, listened, and heard the show coming from the apartment downstairs. Uh, she has become a Shepherd fan. She's also, like all Shepherd fans, a superb and majestic critic. If she does not like the show, she walks away and chews on a bone and looks disdainful. Uh, last night, uh, for instance, at about 10.45, she got up and started chewing on her bone. And I personally thought it was a very interesting show. I guess me and my chihuahua have different tastes. Yeah, it's the way it is, you know. Everyone's a critic. This is the age of the critic. In fact, uh, it would only have occurred to the New York theater audiences to name one of their larger theaters after a critic. And a retired one at that. I mean, I, the Brooks, you know, what is it? Oh, the, oh yes, there, there, don't worry, there'll be a Walter Kerr theater. There has to be, eventually. I'm not sure that there will be a John Chapman Theater, but there will be a Walter Kerr Theater. I'm sure of that. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. You want to get that on to real life here? I'm a little nervous here. Of course, it's Monday, and a lot of nervous things are happening. After all, you know, it's been snowing in the Midwest. Here it is. Uh, it's springtime. It's been snowing. There's been tornadoes all over the place. And Saturday night, they said there might be even a tornado hit the village. And, uh, you know, everybody's getting a little nervous here because apparently there is something out there. 
And uh, whatever it is, it ain't buying. Whatever it is, we're selling. And it's out there. In fact, I, I'm, uh, I'm firmly convinced that there won't, there won't be much time before a, a golden chariot is going to go sailing through the sky, trailing lightning bolts behind it. And uh, wouldn't it be terrible if the, if, the, if the pagans were right? I mean, wouldn't it be awful if, if, uh, if for the last 2,000 years we've been ignoring Mercury and Mercury's getting bugged? And Thor getting a little teed off by this whole scene. You know, it's been going on long enough. And, uh, and Diana shows up on the scene with a couple of arrows and lets fly a couple of them at Billy Graham. You know, the next thing you know, we got problems. <laughs> you never know. Really, I mean, you know, you never know. I mean, I, I don't put, as, uh, as they say over in Teaneck, I don't put nothing down. You never know. And also, as they always say, with such infinite wisdom in Hackensack, you always say this, uh, you never know. That's what I call Hackensack wisdom, which is basically uh, horse sense. I mean, in that incident, it's probably, uh, I suppose, redundant to point out that one of the dumbest animals on the face of the earth is the horse. I mean, the horse is a terrible, dumb animal. In fact, chickens are smarter than horses, generally. I've known some pretty smart chickens in my time. I'll never forget the chicken I used to... Well, that's I mean, funny. Talk like a human being, too. But the, down deep inside of our soul, there... Excuse me a minute, please, out there, will you? <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, that's a... That's one of these new plastic toothpicks. It's kind of exciting. I, uh... Oh, yes, I'll never forget, you know, a few years ago. We all have our little private games. A few years ago, I had this cavity in this tooth, see? And uh, pieces of hamburger would stick in it and stuff like that. The pieces of, you know, cucumber, that kind of thing would stick in there. And uh, it gave me something to do. I used to sit there at my desk and, and uh, you know, play around with toothpicks. And it gave me something to do. And then one day I had my tooth fixed. And ever since that time, I've been missing. It was a hobby. People have all kinds of hobbies. And I don't think tooth sucking is as... I can think of worse hobbies. I mean, you could take up hashish. I know people have done that. And I know other people took up... Uh, I don't know. I, I know one guy. You know what? I, I knew a guy. I shouldn't even tell you this, I suppose. But uh, at one time, I, I had a hobby. And uh, uh, this hobby was uh, given to me by a friend of mine. He was another kid. He was 12. And uh, he discovered this hobby. And uh, the hobby consisted of cutting a potato in half. You cut it lengthwise. You know, you get a regular potato, you know? You cut it lengthwise. You got, got it, kid? Now, I don't want to, I'm not going to give you the total instructions on how to do this because this is the kind of hobby that can get you into a heck of a peck of trouble. And I don't want no kids out there, to use again a hack and sack phrase, I don't want no kids out there getting in no trouble. And if you're going to get in trouble, get in your own trouble. Don't get in mine. If you try getting in my trouble, I'll break your neck. I made my own nest here, and I'm going to lay in it or lie in it. Which is it? I suppose it's both. Doesn't make any difference. But uh, nevertheless, have <laughs> uh, you, you ever seen the new hobby, Bob? Are you handy with your hands? Which kind of redundant, handy with your hands. But are you handy with your hands? What's he with your foot? I mean, handy with your hands, okay? You, you know, you like to make things? Well, a little suggestion. You go down to... Uh, the A&P, or you go to food fair someplace, and you buy yourself a potato, see, a big one, or a great big one, you know, a fresh, raw one, and a real Irish spud, and, uh, you know, the kite. And then you cut it lengthwise, see, cut it like that, and you've got two halves of potatoes now. Now, are you aware that you can make yourself a 
heck of a lot of dough with that head, a little potato like that. The way you do it is you take... I shouldn't tell you this. Well, okay, I might as well come right to it. You take a quarter, see, and you lay it on one half, and then you take the other half of it and you squish it down real tight on it, you see. Very tight, as tightly as you can. You squish it down. And then you open up the potatoes, the two halves, and then you take the quarter out. Then you put the two halves of the potatoes together again, see? And then you take an ice pick. You know what is it, an ice pick? Okay. And you make a little hole right down into between the two halves until it comes to the place where you pressed out with the quarters. Well, then you you go to the kitchen sink. Or rather, I'd say, yeah, you wash it a little bit. You know, you clean it out. That's very important that you do this. So you make it a little moist. And then you go to the stove and you take a regular pot, a little pot, you know, and you buy yourself, oh, maybe a half a pound of lead somewhere to, and a, uh, you know, solder will do it, but your lead is better. Don't, you don't want any uh, solder. You know, you get the rosin and all that stuff in there and acid. Buy yourself a half a pound of lead, maybe tin mixed in it at the local, uh, at the local uh, hardware store. And you put it on the, on the fire to melt, you know, to melt up just like cream wheat or something, you know, just very easy to melt. And then when it's all melted up, you pour it in that hole. You make a little funnel, so you get yourself a little tin or plastic funnel, pour it in there, and then you wait a couple of seconds, then you open it up, and by George, you'd be surprised you got a quarter. You just bust off the little piece of metal that's there, and then you, you yeah, I know I did this. You want to know, I did it. It's a wonderful hobby. It keeps you busy and keeps you out of trouble. And you make yourself a quarter. Well, now, you polish this quarter off a little bit with a little, you know, get yourself a little emery cloth, and it, it, you'd be surprised, you know, in a, uh, you know, in a hurry-up, quick uh, little sale there at the candy store. You'd be surprised, you know, how well it works. And then you make yourself a half dozen of these quarters, and it's one of those hobbies that pays off. Now, I, I uh, me and Flick and Schwartz and Brunner, we got into that business one time. We, we started out by making soldiers. You know, you can make soldiers that way. And, uh... We got kind of tired of soldiers. You can take, you know, soldiers, a soldier. You can take your soldier. What are you going to do with a soldier after you got him? Anyway, just stand and look at it. You push it around a little bit and say, boom, you're dead and all that stuff. After a while, you get tired of that. And uh, how we got into making the quarter business, of course, uh, we expanded a little bit, started to make half dollars. And uh, that's where we ran into trouble. There weren't many half dollars in our neighborhood anyway, even good ones. And, uh, of course, I don't want, I don't want to bring... Uh, bring I just don't want to bring you into this kind of thing. Now, you can get into all sorts of hobbies. I, I uh, can tell you a few other hobbies that the people have taken up. I, uh, did I ever tell you one time as a hobby, I was uh, peeping Tom. It's a wonderful hobby. And, um, of course, all kids go through that phase. I was about eight or nine years old, and we discovered uh, this wonderful, fascinating new hobby, which consisted of crawling around in the hedges and, uh, you know, sneaking up and peeking in. And uh, very exciting, you know, you, sociological research actually is what you're doing. It lays the groundwork for a later scientific career. And the career in, uh, I, 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 as another hobby, of course, I became known as that crummy little big ear that lived in the neighborhood at one time. I, you see, I took up electronics as a kid. And, you know, you can just, you can just uh, do so much with electronics. You know, you put parts together and you take them apart and you make a radio where you can hear WGN. And then you get tired of that because all you hear is the same old stuff on it. You make a radio and then you can hear uh, WMCA. You hear the same old stuff from rock and roll. Do you know, incidentally, that, the, that they've been noticing a worldwide problem? And uh, it's particularly... It, and I'm not, I'm not being funny here. Any parent types listening are going to be fascinated by this. 
I was talking to a doctor friend of mine, and there is a worldwide problem. In fact, they even had it on the news here the other day. Swedish doctor has been doing a lot of investigating, and his particular specialty is the hearing apparatus. And uh, they've been noticing all over the all over the world. It's been a peculiar type of new hearing difficulty been developing, and it's been developing among teenagers, particularly teenagers. And they can't figure out why. It is a loss. No, it really, it's a loss of, he- of hearing acuity. Now, that doesn't mean a loss of hearing. It means a loss of being able to determine the differences between sounds. Now, that's a different kind of loss. It's not the same as uh, guys getting... You know, it's, like if, uh, it's like if your eye becomes so, you know, so uh, insensitive, really, that it can't determine the differences between shades of light. All light looks bright to you, or all light looks dim. It doesn't make a difference how bright the light is. Well, this is a problem with hearing. And they discovered why it was. And uh, they, he claims that by the year seven, 1970, he says that the biggest sale around in the electronic world is going to be hearing aids among ex-teenagers. It's going to be a tremendous hearing problem. Enormous hearing problems. Why? You wouldn't believe what it is. Rock and roll. It's not funny. He says, you know, that the average kid... Uh, plugs in his rock and roll, he plugs in his transistor radio, turns the thing full up, and he says, boy, he said, after about uh, six months of this, his ear can't tell the difference between a, an atomic bomb explosion and somebody dropping a pin. He says, he can't tell the difference anything. All of, he says, if you notice, he says, all rock and roll groups today are getting bigger and their, their, uh, their amplifying power is becoming greater and greater. He said, till eventually, he says, he sees where, you know, a group is going to arrive in the hall with their twin thousand-watt amplifiers, you know, one-kilowatt amplifiers, and they're going to strap the audience down. They're going to be strapped into their seat, and they're going to turn this thing, oh, it's got echo chambers and Hogan twangers and the whole business, you know, and this guy's head is going to be rocking back and forth. He's going to go out gassed out of his skull, thinking he's really heard. He hasn't heard anything at all. You know, you don't hear rock and roll, not when it's turned up. You don't hear it. It's like, do you hear an explosion? Or do you really feel it? Is it, is it a concussion more than anything else? And he says, so ultimately, they have really noticed that everybody listening, I suppose, thinks I'm being funny about this, but it's quite true, that, uh, that it is a, there is a worldwide problem with hearing. And uh, they've even noticed that uh, in certain uh, insurance companies, for example, where they examine you, and they've noticed a lot of kids, uh, 15, 16, amazingly enough, are coming up with hearing problems. He says, and it's the kind of hearing problem that happens to people who work in heavy industry. For years, they've had this problem with people who work, and I've known, I, I remember when I worked in the steel mill, that, uh, that large numbers of people came down with hearing problems. You'd see these guys working in the blast furnace. You'd see them particularly working in a plate mill, where they had these enormous rolling machines that go off like a, like a two-ton cannon, you know, just booming off. And these guys are walking around with hearing aids, they, and they, they, they never heard anything. Uh, you'd, get, you'd get out onto the bus with them later on, and it was just like uh, talking to a brick wall. And uh, it's, it's a, an industrial-type hearing problem. And he said kids are coming down with it by the millions. And by the way, that reminds me, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, millions of kids were on the reading kick at that time. And uh, the, the, big, the big yell that all mothers made was, don't read in the dark and don't lay down, don't lay there and lie down when you're reading like that in the dark because it'll ruin your eyes. You lay there flat. Have you ever heard them? say that to you, Bob? You know, you lay down and watch and read. And uh, that's a typical mother comment. Now, of course, the mother comment of this day will be, uh, turn that damn thing down, you're going to wreck your ears. 
I'm sure. <laughs> because the kid, you know, you'd be taken in there. Now, speaking of ear busters, this is W.O.R. New York. Well, we do our contribution. I'll tell you. And uh, do you have a little whoopee in there for me? No? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We do have the limelight here with us. Oh, listen, listen. We had a wild show at the limelight this past week. And uh, one thing I must say, uh, we're continually getting letters from people say, please send us a, a tickets to the limelight. We have no tickets to the limelight. And if you'd like to make the limelight scene, you better call them right away quick, early in the week, and make yourself a reservation. Uh, and uh, we're going to be down there this Saturday night, live as a big, fat, speckled bird, flapping around. I'm going to wear my feather duster, too. Uh, well, there's a reason for it, because I'm going to play a particular part. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's my own version of... Uh, did you ever see... Uh, uh, oh, uh, Aristophanes, the birds. You ever hear about the birds? You ever hear that one? Aristophanes, the birds, a fantastic play. It's a very early Marx Brother thing, and uh, I'm going to do my, my seven-minute version of the birds. Of course, uh, you, one of the major props in that production, for those of you who know your Greek drama, you realize is a feather duster. It's a... Didn't you know that? It's one of the major props in it. Of course, one of the great mysteries... Uh, nobody quite knows what Aristophanes meant by that because they didn't have feather dusters in his day. He wrote this play that centered around a feather duster and it was a big argument with all these birds sitting around. They had bluebirds and wrens and, and crows and uh, starlings and all that yelling and howling. And, all this. and the whole premise was to get the magic feather duster. And that was what they yelled about all through it. Nobody knew quite why. And I'm going to do my famous... It's very illuminating. Highly illuminating. And uh, I, I must admit, a lot of people become, uh, well, offended... But after all, the Greeks uh, were pretty raucous people. They had a word for everything. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be uh, true to the text, you've got to use the words. And they had a word for everything. So if uh, you're going to be offended, you're just going to be offended. That's all. And I'm going to be doing this uh, Saturday night, and it's done with infrared light, Bob. It's a beautiful thing. It's just magnificent. It's done with infrared, and we have a spectroscope. You know what is it, a spectroscope? And you know what the, what the uh, revolving... Uh, Oh, well, I, I don't want to tip off uh, everything, but uh, where I got the idea, we had this ballroom, and the, uh, it was a Parisian ballroom. And I was a kid, and you know, I'd go down there once in a while, and the Parisian ballroom, they had this big thing that went around. It had yellow lights, green lights, blue lights, purple lights, and it had a, a searchlight in it, see? And it would go around, and as the people would dance around, this thing would revolve, and the lights would be purple and green. Oh, it was just beautiful, just fantastic. It was early psychedelic experience. And uh, they didn't know it was called psychedelic in those days. That was, they just thought it was pretty, pretty colored lights. It's uh, them pretty colored lights down at the Parisian ballroom. And uh, the drummer, uh, this drummer had a light that went around in the back of his drum. It made it look like it had a waterfall in it, see. had a waterfall painted on it. And it was uh, Mickey Isley's Hawaiians had a waterfall. And, uh, well, uh, don't laugh. I don't, uh, I don't like this racism. You're sitting there laughing at Hawaiians, all right? So what if I said it was Mickey Isley's Bulgarians? Would you laugh? Yes, all right. People are getting rotten all the time. Laugh at each other. Well, what if I said if it was Mickey Eisen and his Manchester man? Oh, that would be okay, huh? All right. And Manchester is Liverpudlians. Listen, anybody that calls himself a Liverpudlian should be laughed at. Liverpudlian, it's ridiculous. But nevertheless, he had this... Uh, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. This is... Uh, it, it makes no sense to you, I suppose, but it does to me, and that's enough, right? I'm an artist. It's deeply involving me. And it uh, had this waterfall that came down. He had two, I remember he had uh, two palm trees hanging over, and he had these coconuts hanging from the palm trees. Mickey Isley's Hawaiians. 
And uh, the light behind the bass drum would revolve. You see, it would look like the water's coming right down the waterfall. It was amazing. It looked like, you know. And this drummer would sit there, and he hit this drum, this bass. You know, they, and uh, great thing, nothing but uh, excitement there. And he would change the lights in his drum. Sometimes it would be a yellow drum, sometimes a blue drum, sometimes a green drum. So I was tremendously influenced by this form of art. And uh, you'll find that Saturday night, this limelight, this forthcoming production at the limelight is going to feature some of this type of art. Okay? Wouldn't you like to have hypnotic command over life? Would you? You'd like to have... Would br bring me a little hypnotic command music, please. Yes. You can now make others give you what you want. The very moment that you ask for it. I mean now. No fooling around. Banish weaknesses and bad habits for good. Bring out incredible new powers from your mind and body overnight, instantaneously. Oh, boy. Develop thrilling new ability to inspire friendship, love, loyalty, sexual desire. Ah! Wow. To tap dazzling new sources of health, youth, vitality, wealth. To focus your unconscious money-making powers. <laughs> and skyrocket your income overnight. Oh. Ah! Instantaneously. And you do it all simply by letting the pre-packaged hypnotic suggestion in this machine that is now available through the mail work automatically on your mind for just a few minutes every evening. You just plug this thing in and it works on you. Holy smokes. <laughs> I gotta go further. Do you want to hear more about this, friends? Yes. Yes, from this moment on, forget everything you've ever believed about the built-in limitations of your crummy, rotten mind and body. Forget everything you've ever accepted as true about being old. Oh, yeah, old at 90. Forget it. Yes, and forget about how terribly difficult it is to break even the most crippling habits, such as smoking, drinking, overeating, overweight, yelling, hollering, fist fighting. You can break every one of those habits. Yes. Just by plugging in this machine every night and letting it go to work at you. Just let it snarl at you for 15 minutes before you hit the sack. And by the next day, you will arise seven feet taller. Yes, you will arise a man with hypnotic powers pouring out of his cold blue eyes. A man with newfound abilities to tap the mother load of dull box money. Wow! Holy smokes. Put it away. I don't want to hear any more about this. My George. I, I just get, I'm scared, you know. Uh, we're, we're sitting here laughing, though. Uh, and uh, we are, we're laughing. I can hear that. Did you did you hear about the module research they're doing, friends? You know, the phone company is, is doing module, the phone company is doing research. You know, DNA, that famous power that they say created life itself? Well, they're doing basic research in this because the phone company says, you know, that DNA stuff has an amazing uh, memory. For example, it can remember it can remember how to make a person. You know, well, that's that's pretty good memory, you know. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's continued for thousands, millions of years. It's continued to make people with two feet, two ears, two eyes, walking around, and they're now making basic research so that they can make memory machines that work on the same principle of DNA. In short, they'll be alive. Where are we going to turn, folks? They're also working on a machine now to actually make a brain. Now, I don't mean a mechanical electronic brain. 
a brain brain. This is why God can make it, so can we. I mean, whatever happened to poor old, what's his name, that Joyce Kilmer? Isn't he the one that wrote about something about the trees? La-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
It's a very official school, the Annenberg School of Communications. And you know, they sit around and communicate. They talk to each other. You know, <laughs> practically, you know, this whole, this whole business of communications get a little funny. Hardly ever, I'd say hardly a day passes these days without at least four novels being, being uh, brought out by various publishers about a young man's desire to communicate with the world around him, thwarted, of course, by an insensitive society that apparently doesn't care about communicating but only sitting on a you-know-what and going bowling. Now, uh, uh, the, the whole concept of communication has become so, so much a hang-up in our, in our century that uh, I suspect that we are over-communicating now. You know, in every, in every, uh, for every great problem that arises, there is always a compensation that is developed by the race, all of us, you see. But generally, our compensation is an overcompensation for at least, you know, 50 years. Now, now uh, for 100 years, there was called the Victorian era. You know, this whole business of Victorian era where they had all this stuff about sex, nobody said anything, everything. Uh, now we're, of course, overcompensating. And everybody talks about sex all the time. That's all they can talk about all the time. <laughs> you know, it's every movie's about sex. You know, every novel's about sex. Every, you know, the whole bit. This is known as overcompensation. And uh, it happens in many fields. What was that great cartoon I saw one time? What was that? And I was in the New Yorker. This guy's sitting there and he's talking to another kid. And he was father type, you know. And I don't recall exactly the... Because I don't want to louse up the cartoon, but the kid was saying something to him, and the old man says, Yeah, I know about sex. So, but there's other stuff, too, you know. <laughs> which, which would come as a terrible surprise to the average citizen on McDougal Street, you know, to discover that there is a world out there, and the sun comes up and goes down. And it doesn't care whether or not Gloria loves you or not, you know, one way or the other. <laughs> and that's, of course, known as the unseeing, insensitive universe. Doesn't care. I mean, them rocks just care go on being rocks. In fact, that, uh, Herman Melville made that point. This is a potpourri tonight, isn't it? Herman Melville made that point, that that's why he was afraid of the sea, among other reasons. The sea didn't care. He said a little boat, the Pequod would go whipping along, water would boom up and down. And he says, he'd look down in there and he says, don't come to me and tell me about love and the sea. He says, boy, I'm scared of it. He's, <laughs> he says, it doesn't seem to care. <laughs> and neither does the earth, nothing, you know. Space doesn't care. Nothing cares, really, because it's, uh, it's, it's nature, you see. And so naturally, we hate nature. Because we're living in a Freudian age where everything has to care. You know, just got to care. The rocks got to love you or they're rotten. And they just got to. If, if, if the sea doesn't come up and kiss you and tell you it's going to be all right and that Gloria does love you, it's a rotten sea. It's a bad scene. And if you keep getting stuck in this quicksand, it's a rotten earth. You know, it's trying to suck you down and live among the gnome kings and all that stuff down on the bottom of the earth where it's hot all the time. It's rotten. So eventually, we're, it, 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 it's a, what's American concept? We're the first people to discover that nature is basically crummy. Really? Other countries like nature. Oh, yeah, they do. They run around you. Oh, yeah, you go to Europe and they're always camping out. The British have not yet become totally acclimated to an automobile that, that keeps the water out. Would you agree? They love cars that, you know, dribble all over them. Oh, sure. The British, you know, the British, the average British automobile is designed with a, with a seat to poke you right in the kidney. It's, well, yeah, that's one of them. It's a, it's a basic, it's a basic masochism because, you know, the British love to suffer a little bit, you know. After all, to suffer is to be good. You know, suffering is always equated with goodness and truth and all that stuff. 
And so, you know, you, you, uh, I think that's the one thing they held against America. America, you know, America loves to, they love to sit around and drink beer and drive big fat cars and all that stuff. And so the British, you know, go the other way, and they've got little skinny seats in their cars that stick you in the kidney. And it always reminds a Britisher that he is a Britisher. And uh, he's going along their little superhighway they got in Britain. That little, what is it, Route 1? A1? Huh? M1? M1. I see. They have mysterious names for their highways. M1, you know, I know all about that stuff. That's James Bond, M5, M4, M1, you know. they got one little superhighway they call M1. Uh, of course, the idea being that they're going to have M2. They're going to, huh? They have got M2? Gee, I'm delighted. Uh, how high are they now? Huh? Are they up to three yet? Oh, they are up to three. Are they up to four? Four? Are they past five? Well, they, are they past 420? No. I see. Well, Britain now has over 75 miles of superhighway, and they're very proud of it. And, uh, <laughs> don't, and, 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 and but the, yet, you know, the Britishers feel, uh, they feel a little pang of conscience. There's constantly uh, editorials uh, appearing in things like The Observer and The Guardian about the M1 and M2 these highways, they blame it on America. Oh, it's the, it's the American idea of superhighways. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, if we hadn't come along, they'd still have those little pads with the bumps in them, and they'd be driving little Austin 7s, you know, with the wire wheels. <laughs> oh, what's his name, Ronald Searle? Great cartoonist who uh, draws these wildly great, great machines. He, dra he, he draws the great locomotives and uh, the great cars and all that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we compensate. We overcome. Oh, I was going to say what was going to happen at the Annenberg School, wasn't I? Uh, bring me on a little uh, a dynamic. Uh... Announcing a world premiere to be held at the Annenberg School, the University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, of course. The world premiere of a new motion picture. Yes, once in a generation, once in our time, we are entitled to observe a motion picture that says it for all men of our time. That's a little loud there. Uh, <laughs> the world premiere of a motion picture entitled Channel Cat in the Middle Distance. A special student film produced by students at the University of Pennsylvania's famed Annenberg School. It's about guess who? It ain't about Charlton Heston, you slob. Okay, that's enough. If you're if you're around Philadelphia and it's going to be tomorrow night, Wednesday, excuse me, not tomorrow. It's going to be Wednesday at eight o'clock at the Annenberg School. And if any of you kids or students or anybody around Philadelphia. Wednesday at 8 o'clock, the Annenberg School, which, uh, for those of you who are interested, this is purely a public service. Believe me, this is not a... This is a, a, uh, an experimental film called Channel Cat in the Middle Distance, and it was filmed up here, Bob. Yeah, it's a, it's a film of, uh, about my show and the whole scene. And I'll be there. I don't know. But nevertheless, uh, you know, time and the ravages of everything. Uh, speaking of, uh, of ravages... Uh, uh, I like them with a little uh, crisp bacon rind over them. Oh, I'm sorry. That was sorry. <laughs> I'm terrible tonight. Hey, how much time do I have? Going awful quick. Six minutes already? Six minutes. 
Five minutes here, you know, I, I didn't even start the show yet. For crying out loud, I just having a good time here, you know, and I didn't even start the show. Oh, dog, God. Gee whiz, and I was going to do this thing. Oh, shucks a Rooney. I'm sorry, people out there. I know, I, I know a lot of sensitive people out there. Don't, you know, I'm worried about these guys losing their hearing and, you know, just terrible. I'm walking around here worrying about communication. How are you doing on your communication, by the way, huh? Yeah, by the way, I, uh, just just as a, as a passing uh, observation, I suspect that most people today equate communication with other people digging them. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, you have real communication if somebody di if somebody likes you. Has it occurred to you that real that the real communication is when somebody actually hears what you're saying and bashes you in the teeth because he knows what? <laughs> I mean, that uh, you know that that's communication, man. Uh, so, you know, uh, one way or the other, I suppose, if you want to take up kite flying, it's okay. I I, uh, I did it one time. Try anything once. Uh, took up kite flying, uh, model airplane building, glue sniffing. You know, you try almost anything one time. I, uh, you know what? One of, the, uh, one of the big hobbies at the... Of course, this was the prelude to the banana baking bash. You know, the guys uh, cooking bananas away there. You've heard about that, Bob, haven't you? Sure, of course, we all have. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I'm certain... Uh, yeah, I'm sure. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, there's a lot of other ways to get uh, your jollies. As a matter of fact, uh, I remember one time uh, the kids got into this habit of going out on the swing. Uh, you know, regular swing in the playground. You know, the kind with the two chains that go up, and you just keep swinging. You see, you just keep going back and forth, swinging back and forth, up and down, swinging back and forth. And you go high, you know, and then you go backwards. You go real high up backwards, and then you go frontwards real high back and forth back and forth until you start getting up over the top of the bar you see that could be really exciting well you you make that big loop finally over the top of the bar you do this about four times and i want to tell you for at least 20 minutes after that when you walk around on the ground you see purple flowers you see the whole scene uh it's expanding the consciousness of man i i, I think man's consciousness should be expanded especially if he gets himself sculled out in the process just lays there unconscious under the radiator with his feet sticking out. Uh, nothing like an expanded consciousness. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you keep confusing. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm anti. No, no question about it. Uh, I, to, to make it really big, you've got to be anti-mind. I mean, it's to kill the mind. It's a bad scene, the mind. Hooray for glands. Huh? Well, what's the matter? What do you got against glands? After all, you're composed of, you know, a few glands, a couple of things. Uh, uh, you remember that song? They connect the ankle bone to the foot bone. They connect the foot bone to the knee bone. They connect the knee bone to the hip bone. You remember that song? Well, you're composed of a lot of things. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that brings up another interesting point. Can you see this, uh, this, this uh, laboratory, see, this doctor? He's, uh, he's all, you know, he's dressed in white, and he's got this mirror up on the top of his head, and he's got all this stuff. He's a laboratory type, see? And he says, by George, you know that she is made of, of uh, sugar and spice? I can't figure it out. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm <laughs> well, I know they make people out of puppy dog tails. No doubt about that. My mother used to always say that. Girls, little girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice, and little boys are made of what? Snips and snails and puppy dog tails, all that evil type stuff. Of course, I'm sure that there were a lot of girls that got bugged at that and wanted to be made out of 
you know, snips and snaps and puppy dog tails themselves. But, uh, you know, you get all deeply involved until eventually, you, you know, you, all you can do is stand, all you can do is stand in the middle of the whole action and look around and know deep down within yourself nobody knows any more about it than you do. And you know how much that is. That's right. So, you know, and uh, so I suppose it is important to know how many angels dance on the head of the pin, and I suppose it is important to some people that Johnny Carson is back, I suppose. You know? I say that's your bag, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I could get excited. You know? I wish I could go past the newsstand and, and to see the, the, you know, the New York Post headline, these deep-thinking deep newspapers like the Post and the News, and they have this big blue headline, Johnny's back! I wish I could feel better about the world because Johnny's back, you know? I wish I really could. And then, then to read what Buddy Hackett said about Johnny and get all excited about it and, and get a little worried about Joey's show and all, I just wish, uh, you know? I suppose that takes a certain kind of mind, which is a good mind. Oh, absolutely. That's a real good mind. You know that you can make big money raising geraniums in your backyard? There's a lot of... You know about that? Well, that's not all. Now, wait a minute now. Now, just a minute. Uh, don't, don't you laugh. I have a note here. It says, uh, I better not. It says, you, you know that you can get up to 225 miles to the gallon in your car by adding this pill to your gas tank? Would you like to know about Oh, they won't let that get on the market, of course. It's obvious, but I know how to do it. You want to make yourself a few quarters, you know, get yourself a potato and, uh, you know, swing on a swing and stand around and scratch and spit and... Well, yeah, you know, just stand out in the middle of the street and look around, you know, and you see the sky, and you see the road, and you see the buildings, you see the birds, and you see the people. And then, uh, just remember, nobody knows any more about it than you do. Nobody. I care who he is. I don't care how loud he is. He doesn't know any more about it than you do. Even if his name is Bob Dylan, he cries a lot. He's got a good agent. Doesn't make any difference. I mean, and nobody knows any more about love than you do, even if it is Joan Baez. Nobody. That's right, nobody. I know that's very incendiary comment. And by the way, what they say, I must say this, I'm sorry I'm going to have to disappoint a lot of you. What they say about kumquats is not true. Absolutely not true. That is a squirrelish statement. And I don't blame the kumquat raisers, Association of America, for raising cane the way they've been. It's not true, absolutely not true. You can have all you want and you're perfectly safe. Okay? Hang in there, crowd. Let's go.